None of us want to work all the time and feel like we're not getting any closer towards our goals. I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture and tell me if this feels familiar to you. Working a lot of hours, uh, always feeling like the work switch is never fully off because there's a lot of things on the to-do list or maybe bigger projects that haven't been accomplished yet that you know would kind of change the direction of your life, whether it's your career or something outside of your, your work, even at, at physical health, you know, getting a structured workout or training plan in place. You've got all these things and it's really hard to turn those thoughts off because you always know that there's they're kind of looming over your head, like you haven't done them yet and you should, but you just... When you try to sit down and think about how to accomplish all of it, it's almost that itself requires more energy than you have. And, you know, you've sat down maybe a bunch of times to try to work out a plan and you end up just being fried because when you are tr taking time off work, that's when you literally just need your brain to shut off. Does that sound familiar? So that was me for a long chunk of my life. Long hours, I would get up. It was often that I would go right to work. Like the second I woke up, check my phone scroll through my emails and the work would just be going kind of all day into late at night. A lot of times, sometimes responding to messages at one in the morning uh, when I'd pick my phone up. But despite the crazy volume of work, the quality of work was extremely low. And I found myself extremely frustrated because I'm looking around going, I'm working more than almost anybody I know, and I'm not producing that much. And I know that I'm capable of producing more. And rather than stay kind of repeating the same cycle, I thought, there's got to be a way around this. I can fix this. This is clearly on me. There's something that I'm not addressing. Uh, and I come from kind of the human performance world. Football's always been a big passion of mine. And when, you know, in, in sports science, when you're looking at training characteristics, you know, power, speed, strength, endurance, we, you know, a good coach will look at what characteristic you're trying to build and then build a very specific plan to optimize that characteristic. And, you know, we look and we go, okay, we can build power this way. We can build speed this way. These exercises, these movements, this style of training will improve our endurance. And I think we forget that productivity is a modifiable skill the same way that power, speed, strength, endurance are. And so I've started to approach this in a methodical way where I look and go, what actually drives productivity? And then how do I optimize those characteristics? And so that's what this podcast is about. All of us have probably been in a place where we take things day to day. You get up and just a million things get thrown in your direction, whether it's from work, emails, projects, um, if you're a parent, stuff with your kids. And it's almost easier in some ways to just wake up and take the day on as it hits us. But it's also easier to just eat junk food every day and not be disciplined. And we know that that does not lead to a better life or a healthier life. Uh, and so it does require front-loaded work. Uh, but I think of it like building the engine to a car. We could choose to just get up and walk somewhere every single day, or we could choose to get up and take the necessary steps to learn how to build the engine. And it might feel like a minor step back because we're, we're having to take mental energy to figure out a better process. But once we build the engine, we can drive wherever we want much faster than we ever could walk. That's how I feel about taking a step back to try to optimize your productivity. And if you listen to my last episode, there's something that I referenced. It's pinned to my Instagram. So if you visit my Instagram, you'll be able to see it. Uh, it's the, this four stage journey of learning a new behavior. Eventually, behaviors become programmatic, they become automatic. So this structured way of living, this structured way of tackling large projects to take on, you know, monumental challenges will just become a way of life to where, like I referenced a second ago, it might be easier to just eat junk food. A lot of people are in a position in life, I'm there now where that would be actually harder for me to do. I'm so adjusted to eating 
quality food and, you know, tracking calories and macronutrients and all that, it would actually be difficult to get me off the path that I'm on that used to be the harder path. And this is true in terms of how I approach productivity as well. It would actually be harder for me to unstructure my life right now. The way it took a lot of strain in the beginning, but I'm at a position now where I'm getting more done in a 10-day window than I used to get done in a three-month window. Those are arbitrary numbers, but the point holds true. Now being on the other side of, of time blocking and kind of actually taking the time to look into what this is, it's almost comical that there's a debate on whether or not we should time block. It, I guess it depends on how we define time blocking, but if you just look at it like uh, focused or directed work, that's really what time blocking is. It's reserving a set period of time to do a set task. I tend to reference sports science principles a lot, training, nutrition, I think a lot of times lifestyle and you know kind of fitness behavior analogies are easier to track with. But think about, you know, if you're trying to grow your legs, you're trying to grow your quads and you're trying to get stronger quads, doing a set of squats and then taking off and running a mile in between each set. You know, you do a set of squats, come back, you run a mile, come back, do another set. Where would the logic be in that? We all intuitively understand that that's kind of counterproductive because it's, it's eating into the you know, your, your mile is absolutely eating and it's causing fatigue. It's eating into your strength and, you know, muscle growth gains from the squats. And then in the reverse, the squats are actually making you worse at the mile while you're doing it. So it's, we understand that intuitively when it comes to training, that it makes sense to chunk specific types of movements and, and training goals together. Uh, and then I think we forget to appreciate that when it comes to work life, career life, uh, and we just take things on, you know, as they come because they're not as clearly defined. We don't define our work by, you know, this is strength work or power work or speed work or, you know, any other measure of, of quantifying our work that we do in our careers or life. And then even a less exaggerated example, you wouldn't really warm up, get ready, all prepared to squat. And then you do one set of squat and then just move on to another leg exercise. Even though it's still training legs, it's still a completely different task that, you know, you just spent all that time warming up, kind of building a mind-muscle connection, getting a little bit into a groove, you're squatting, and then you do one set, and now it's just time to move on to a leg press or a walking lunge. You lose flow doing that, and I think, again, we appreciate that when it comes to training, but we don't appreciate it as much when it comes to organizing our life. But let's define terms, because we hear the term multitasking a lot, and I think a lot of times when people say multitasking, they mean task switching. So multitasking would be texting and driving, talking to your spouse while you're playing a game on your phone, something like that where you're legitimately doing two actions at once. That's much less common and much less the focal point of this episode. What most of us do is task switch. So to illustrate, uh, you're working on maybe a creative project, but your email tab is open, your Microsoft Teams or Slack or whatever you communicate on is open, your texts are there. So you're kind of working on a project. Oh, um, you know, Johnny emailed me and needs me to send this in. Let me respond to Johnny really quick. And there's, there's, we're constantly switching between tasks and it might feel like, oh, we're just, we're staying active. We're getting a lot done. Uh, and that may be true, but task switching is not free. It comes at a cost. So much so that there's literally a term in neuroscience called task switch cost. Meaning if we choose to either direct focus on one task until we complete it and then shift to another task versus the, the opposite where we're kind of working on it and but we're welcoming in other inputs uh, and, and task switching, 
not only is our performance reduced, this is pretty clear from, from the literature, this is very clear, um, not only is our performance reduced, but our fatigue seems to accumulate at a greater degree. It just requires more cognitive bandwidth. So when you're at the end of your day and you're feeling just your brain is tired, like you, you get home from work and you're like, I don't even have the energy for a conversation right now. A lot of that could be from task switching. Our cognitive bandwidth to some degree is limited the same way our physical energy is limited. You know, walking 18 miles gets you tired. If you could get to the same place by walking 12 miles instead of 18, it would make a lot of sense to just walk 12. In the same way, if we can get the same amount of work done with a lot less cognitive fatigue, all the better. Or work the same amount of time, but just get a lot more done. Another example that seems to be helpful is picture trying to learn another language and you're studying and you keep switching, you know, you'll study for 30 minutes and then jump over from Spanish to French to Mandarin. And you're just alternating languages like that intuitively we hear and go, yeah, that, that's kind of sounds crazy, but we kind of do the same thing with our work. I promise I'm going to get to time blocking, but I'm trying to lay the case for, for why task switching can be so problematic because this will, this will tee up time blocks super well. There are several problems with task switching. One just comes at a basic physiology level, our neural architecture, or literally just the hardwiring of our brains. In other words, unless you're an alien or you're not from earth, you are subject to these limitations just due to the design of, of your brain. We're not very good at multitasking. And in, in a similar way, we're not as efficient with alternating tasks as we are with just completing one task and then moving on to the next. This is not coming from the mouth of Stephen Borden. There's a rich body of research here that has looked directly into task switching and the kind of the cognitive costs of that. And it seems that the costs are pretty unavoidable. Um, anytime subjects have been asked to complete either a dedicated task or to keep alternating tasks, they will perform those alternating tasks slower and with more errors. I'm just going to throw a caveat out there. I'm not saying that the, these studies perfectly synchronize with real life situations where, you know, you're, you've got your email open and you're alternating between maybe writing the intro to presentation and toggling between that and an email. It's, you know, a lot of times these studies involve shape recognition and different, more simple tasks that, that are measurable and quantifiable. And, and, you know, it's hard to replicate a exact real life scenario. So I'm just throwing that out there uh, that I'm not certainly not suggesting that these studies are, are perfect characterization of real life scenarios, but there's enough of them now where the grand picture seems to make a lot of sense that, you know, switching between tasks is kind of tough. For those nerds that are interested in this kind of stuff, I'm going to link a meta-analysis, which is just an aggregate of, you know, a large group of studies, independent studies, all focusing on the same kind of thing. And this is a meta-analysis on multitasking and task switching that involves 60 studies. And across all 60, it was pretty common that there's four specific regions in the brain that are just more active when we're task switching. That's back to that kind of cognitive bandwidth where, you know, it sounds, it might sound good. Like, oh, these brain regions are active. It's like, well, when you're training your legs, you don't really want to finish. You don't really want to finish squatting. And somebody goes, how's your workout? Oh, it was great. My biceps are on fire. Like we don't want regions of our brain probably active and processing a lot of information when they don't need to be. Okay. So hopefully that set the stage a little bit on, on the cost of task switching. Uh, but let's go right into application. I've belabored this point probably long enough now. This is exactly how I went from working all the time and always feeling like I wasn't quite getting stuff done to 
I still work all the time, but I always feel like I'm getting a lot done. This is a four-step process. I'm going to break it down really simply. Step one is categorizing different types of work. Examples tend to help people, so I'm going to walk through exactly what I do. I have a lot of moving parts in my life, as many people probably do. Uh, obviously, I'm podcasting right now, but this represents a small portion of my life. My primary work, my career, requires a lot of different types of work. Um, and so what I've done between my personal podcast and my career work is segment different types of activities so I can kind of lump tasks into their own buckets, which will make sense in a second. So I'll explain all of these, but my categories are creative, creative executions, growth, and operations. Let's start with what creative is. Well, obviously I do podcasting here for the Momentum Podcast, but I also do podcasting and content creation at my primary job at the, the company that I work with called Saga. We have our own podcast. We do our own YouTube videos. So there's a lot of creative work between Saga, which represents a bulk of it, and now this personal podcast of mine. Uh, the work that falls under the creative umbrella is generally the scripting and writing and processing of episodes. So this would be coming up with the idea for this episode and writing out the things that I'm gonna talk about, creating the structure, getting the research that I'm gonna reference. That is a creative work. It generally requires me to be not distracted, not getting phone calls, I'm writing. Same thing with, with Saga, with the podcast, I write. Um, and produce podcast episodes around educational content kind of in the sports science field. So those require a lot of focus. I'm reading a lot of research and writing. So creative is generally a writing, scripting, uh, content creation block. So that's that's kind of one, one type of work right there is creative. Creative executions is what I'm doing right now. I am staring into a camera and talking into a microphone, I'm recording the content that I have created. So I'm calling those executions. Category three, operations, pretty much what it sounds like. This involves anything operationally that needs to be done um, generally at Saga, but it could be with my personal podcast as well. These are things that require a little bit less processing power. It could be, let me go respond to all my emails, kind of try to clean up my inbox. Uh, it could be kind of management, task management stuff. Meetings tend to fall in my operation window, responding to colleagues, etc. These are things I can do at the end of the day, even if my brain is fried. And that's actually a really important component to creating this block of operations. They're more like box checking type of tasks than, you know, I'm writing a speech type of task. So that's number three, operations. Number four, I call growth. And that's mostly, again, a saga block. Most of my time is spent on saga. And that is marketing related projects uh, that are with regard to growing the company that are outside of the podcast and the content creation side. Uh, so there's a lot of work that falls into that growth block, but that generally requires some creativity. There, there's um, more, it's not an operations and it's not a creative, it's kind of in between. This could be something like working on our Black Friday campaign, looking into our paid ads to see how they're performing, things like that. So I have these categories, I have creative, I have creative executions, I have operations and growth. That helps me kind of create these buckets that I can look at the work that needs to be done and drop them into each of those buckets, which is gonna make sense in a second. But obviously everybody has their own career and responsibility. So for instance, somebody in sales, maybe your time, maybe your specific blocks are, you know, one of them is for prospecting, is searching for new clients. Uh, one of them would be, you know, client relations. Uh, this is my block of time where I reach out to current clients and kind of optimize our relationship, whatever needs to happen there. Uh, maybe another another block would be you're directly outbound. This is when I'm on the phone calling, cold calling. 
And then maybe you'd have a fourth block for operations where you kind of manage your, your CRM or wherever you kind of organize all your contacts. That's an example of how if I was directly in sales all the time, maybe I would do something like that. But this can be applied to anything. If you're a mom or an anesthesiologist or whatever your responsibilities are in life, we can start to think about categorizing the different types of work that we do. So that's step one, just figuring out, just literally write down, okay, I think I have like three or four different types of work. Maybe it's five, maybe it's two. The point is to get organized with the different types of work. Step two is documenting. And I want this episode to be really tangible and actionable. So I'm gonna give a very specific way you can do this. How I did it for the longest time when I first started doing this was by using the Reminders app in the iPhone. In the Reminders app, there's a button called Add List and you can create different lists and you can color code them name them, and that allows you to add to-do lists or tasks under each individual list. It allows you to go back and reference, okay, what operations tasks do I have to do this week or tomorrow or today? What growth tasks do I have to do? Which is gonna make a bunch of sense in just a second. Because if you make a list of everything that you know you need to do, maybe you put a time horizon on it, maybe it's just for this week to get started. What do I wanna get accomplished this week? You just write it all down, then you can take, you can go through each of those and categorize them. Okay, that's an operations task. That's a creative task. And you add it into your reminders list, and then you put a specific due date on it if you know the date that you wanna get it done by. That's step two, that's the documentation process. So now you have your work, your types of work categorized, and now you have for the foreseeable future an organized aggregate of all the work that needs to get done. Step three is to optimize your blocks. Remember when I said it's actually an important feature of operations work that I can do it when my brain is fried? That's because I can tend, I know that I can push operations related work to the very end of the day if I need to. Doesn't matter if my brain is fried, I'm gonna get it done because these are just things that I need to kind of white knuckle through and push through. On the contrary, I'm almost never gonna put a creative block anytime but the first part of the morning. So my creative blocks usually fall between four and 9 a.m. because that's when most of the world's not awake and I'm not getting interrupted as much. My phone, I'm okay, I'm okay to silence it. I'm not worried about calls coming in and I tend to get the least distracted and the most productive creative work done in that early portion of the day. So by optimizing blocks, it just means think about the different types of work and how, what does the flow of your life look like? Do you normally have a lot of meetings in the afternoon? Is it, or do you have a, a, an afternoon meeting heavy kind of schedule? Then maybe that's when you pencil in your operations type work or whatever work makes sense for you around that time. Again, if you have some sort of creative type work or you know, you're a content creator, maybe the morning is the time or maybe it's late at night for you that you find that you're the least bothered and you get the most done. Just optimize your window, kind of look and go with how my life goes. It seems to make most sense to structure a typical day like this. And the first pushback to typical day, which this used to be me, is yeah, but I don't have a typical day. My schedule changes all the time. I'm on the road two, three days a week, or I have meetings come up all the time. Uh, I can't time block because that doesn't make sense for me. That's what I used to say until I found out that properly structuring time blocks, regardless of how much your schedule changes, tended to help me more because yeah, if I had a four hour growth block for Tuesday and then I end up last minute having to drive up to LA or fly out of town and I miss that block during my flight, well then I know exactly what block I missed and I know the exact projects or tasks that I was gonna work on in that block. So it makes it really easy to catch up with what you missed, understand, okay, where am I gonna move that block to? Is it gonna have to get sacrificed this week? Am I gonna swap it out? In a weird way, structure creates flexibility. So that's step three, optimizing. 
The final step, step four, is to specify, which just means, and we've already kind of gone over this, decide on the exact tasks that you're going to do tomorrow or today. So I never go to bed unless I know exactly what I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning. If I have to get up and think about, okay, I, I'm going to check my email, I'll clear that out, then I'm going to do this, and then, you know, if I have to think, I did something wrong. Ideally, you're looking at, you know, the year, you know, a longer term time horizon and going, what are the things that I want to accomplish? And then breaking them down into smaller steps until you get to maybe a quarter, you know, January, February, March. And how do I, what do I want to accomplish this quarter? Then you kind of create those, lump those together. Then you go, well, in order to do that in the quarter, I have 12 weeks. How am I going to optimize these 12 weeks? Specificity brings clarity. So let's look at a very specific example. I'm going to draw out uh, an example day because I've gone through the concepts, but I haven't actually explained it in execution. So looking specifically at tomorrow, I knew when I started this week that I wanted to script and record two podcast episodes for Saga. I've done one, I've produced one, uploaded one. I still have one left to go. So I know that has to get done tomorrow. So I'm going to create, I have it on my time block tomorrow from four to 9 a.m., to script that podcast. Maybe I don't wake up at four, maybe it's just after five, Some, but sometime between four and 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., I will script that episode. But I can't be fully offline forever. I know that I'm gonna have to check my inbox, make sure that there's nothing pending or somebody's not trying to get a hold of me. So at 9 a.m., I've scheduled an operations block. Generally, I'll go on a little 20 minute walk before I start a new block. But so let's say I go, you know, four to 9 a.m., creative, I knock out that podcast script take a 20 minute walk. I come back, check my laptop, respond to all the emails, messages, texts, calls that I need to respond to. And it turns out this has been a very productive operational week for me. So I don't have a ton of operational tasks. So I have a 90 minute window, window tomorrow to get done the rest of the operational tasks that I have with the understanding that more will probably come up in the tail end of the day, but I can just add in an operations block at the end of the day if there's stuff pending before the end of the day. Well, remember I said I, I didn't want to just script an episode. I wanted to produce one. So I have a creative executions block in there. So I'm, I'm going to work out in between then. And then I know it generally takes me about an hour if I'm on my game to produce or execute the actual episode. So I've got an executions time block on there and I know exactly which episode I'm going to do because I would have scripted it that morning. And then the last thing I have on my to-do list this week that I haven't knocked out, at least project wise, is organizing and creating a bunch of ads based off of the content that we have here at Saga. So we have, we work with creators. They use our product in videos and send us reviews and, you know, videos, videos of them training in our product. And there's a lot of good content, but it needs to be organized in a way that it's ready to be deployed as an ad. And so I need to sit down, review all of our content, see which ones make sense to be kind of edited and used as ads, create the edit briefs for those, and then dispatch those to be edited. As you guessed, that falls into a growth block. So I have one growth block for my day tomorrow. So because of the way my life is organized, I know exactly what I need to do tomorrow. And then I just look and see, okay, how long is each one generally gonna take? okay, I think I need a three hour block for creative because I need to finish X, Y, and Z. So I literally in my schedule, I tag, okay, creative task. Uh, it's all there. You know, I tag all my growth tasks, my operations tasks. So when 5am comes around and I open my laptop, I know exactly what I need to do. I go on my walk. When I get back, I know that I'm going to check my emails, respond to calls, but then I know that there's three or four other operational related tasks that I need to knock out. I check them off. Good to go. You get the idea. 
the other benefit to doing it this way where we actually have a list to knock out is it it's a reminder that you are accomplishing things i think a lot of times when we don't have a documented process of what we want to do and we just do things it's easy to feel like we didn't do anything or we're not accomplishing as much but when you're physically checking things off it's a reinforcement that you're on the right path and you're doing the right things I think we all know it feels good to check things off our to-do list. Now, if that to-do list is structured, it's an even clearer picture to us that we're on the right path. It's easier to keep pressing into work even when we're tired, fatigued, whatever else, because we know that we're headed in the right direction. We know that the directionality is sound. So that is time blocking 101, at least in the world of Stephen Borden. I'm sure there's a million ways to do it. Um, somebody else may have a, a better way that they feel works, uh, but this is something that's worked very well for me. It's something that I've seen work very well for many of my friends. I actually was inspired to do this because of one of my friends, Brett Ranhofer, who um, works extremely hard, has always done very well for himself, uh, but it was in a very similar position a couple of years ago where he felt like he just worked nonstop hours and wasn't actually moving the needle on the things that he wanted to in life. Uh, and now it's often that it's 2 p.m. and he's done for the day because he's so far ahead of his schedule just because of how he's optimized his workflows. So with that said, it's something that's worked for me. It's something that's worked for people that are very close to me. So I felt like sharing it. The last thing here, it would be a waste if I didn't bring this up is to talk about focus. We all know that our cell phone can be distracting. One thing that has helped me tremendously is utilizing the settings on the iPhone. You can create different modes that you're in. Most people know like do not disturb mode. I have a mode on my phone called hyperfocus that I've literally named that I can swipe down and in one tap, it means nothing comes through to my phone except for a call, not a text, just a call from my wife in case of an emergency. And that at least prevents something from buzzing and my eye seeing it and me getting distracted with whoever's messaging me, calling me, texting me, etc. I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but it's a reminder that sometimes pays off for people. If you can put your phone in some sort of hyper-focus mode, leave it in the other room, find a way to eliminate the distractions, you'll get so much more done out of your time blocks. That was one of the biggest things for me, establishing clarity, organizing my life. I know exactly what I need to do. Then I put myself in a position where there's nothing else I can do because there's no other distraction that I can latch onto. On that, there's a really interesting study out of Stanford Lab where they looked at chronic multitasking, multimedia use, meaning you know, working while you're opening Instagram, listening to Spotify, Netflix in the background, uh, checking TikTok, all of that. What they did was take a bunch of people and document their actual behavior. So how many hours do you spend a day on each of these apps and then segmented them based off usage. So these are the top 25% media multitaskers and the bottom 25% and everything in between. And what they found was the chronic multitaskers had a reduced ability to draw on the past to make informed decisions in the present. And it was sort of a linear relationship. So the less somebody media multitasked, the better they were at being able to draw on the past to inform present behavior. The way they did this was they had them put visual objects in their memory. So they would show them an object. And then some time later, they had to recall what that object was. Obviously very easy in the beginning, but later on they showed them objects again and they showed them novel objects as well. So different shapes and objects that they hadn't seen before. And they had to remember which one have I already seen and which ones were new. The heavier media users had a much harder time identifying which ones they had already seen and which ones they hadn't seen. I thought that was interesting. Again, we don't know if it's causative or correlative. Um, you know, do the people who perform the worst happen to perform the worst because of the media use or is it because 
you know, they're just the type of person who tends to default to the media use because maybe they have less capacity to begin with. We don't really know, but I think all of us can observe a massive increase in productivity when we eliminate distractions, when we eliminate our phone. Just try, if you're trying to accomplish a project, try going in a closet, leave your phone in the other room and see what happens. So I'm gonna take, of course, that study, like any study with a grain of salt, but it is interesting and it lines up very well with what we see kind of observationally in the real world. I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. We've all heard it enough to get off our phones, but for me, it was something that made such a big difference. I, the thing is, I knew that it was going to make a difference and I would just think of myself as impervious to the distraction of the phone. Um, and I found that regardless of whether or not I'm opening it, um, I'm more productive now because if you were to take me today with no phone and compare me to me a year ago with no phone, even though the phone is removed in both situations, I'm more productive now than I was before, which I would attribute several things to, but one of them would be, I have adjusted to focusing on one thing without the need to reach for a distraction. Sometimes too, it just helps to hear some data or some actual, you know, science behind things. You know, it's, it's one thing for somebody to tell you, Hey, that's bad for your focus. And then it's another thing to hear. Here's the exact reasons why, and here's how we've, we've observed that in the literature. But I hope this episode was useful for you. Just know productivity is a modifiable skill. You can do it. You can be focused. You can organize your life. You are capable of doing much more than you probably feel like you are. There is a path out. It just requires taking a step back, reflecting, getting extreme clarity. And hopefully I laid out a little bit of a process or step-by-step -step path to doing that in this episode. Until next time, I'll see you soon. Love you all.